Disciples of Jesus are meant to be men and women of purity. Genuine purity is something that is in short supply in our world today. Years ago, I read a story and watched the video that demonstrates how far afield our culture is about purity. 2001, an episode of Politically Correct with host Bill Maher, was discussing rules for relationships from a male perspective. And in this discussion, Bill Maher made the following statement to the women on his panel and the women in the audience. Don't gripe about porn. When the women of the panel asked him what he meant, he responded, unless you, you women, are willing to give us sex whenever we want, you don't have the right to gripe if we use pornography. Now, amazingly, all three women on the panel agreed that the rule made sense. Now, I understand that Bill Maher and his guests aren't typically the moral standard bearers of America. But I also realize views like Mars are rapidly becoming acceptable and normal. But let me share with you some things this morning. Statistically, there are men and women in this room today that have looked at pornography in the last week. Statistically, there are men or women in this room today that are involved in an adulterous or an immoral sexual relationship. Statistically, There are men or women in this room today that are emotionally involved with someone that is not their spouse. Statistically, there are men men or women in this room today that regularly fantasize about being with someone sexually other than their spouse. Statistically, there are men or women in this room today that are sexually involved outside the bonds of marriage. Now those statistics are disturbing. And they ought to be disturbing. And what may be most disturbing of all is that many people, even those in churches that would say they are believers in Jesus Christ, do not find anything wrong with most of those statements. We do live in a day where purity is the exception rather than the norm, even within the church of Jesus Christ. It's just accepted that people are going to be sexually immoral. And the best we can hope for is they would do this in a safe way with someone they genuinely care about. Now these actions and attitudes are completely contrary to the way disciples of Jesus are meant to be. Peter says in 1 Peter 1 that we are to be holy because because He is holy. I, I read 1 Thessalonians 4 and 3 that said it is always God's will that we live lives of sexual purity. Now, hopefully this isn't new information to anyone in the room today, but what we may wonder is, in an impure world, how can we live this out? And we're going to look and see what Jesus has to say about this today. Open your Bible to Matthew 5, verse 27 is where we're going to look at, 27 through 30. But it should be on page 736 in your pew Bibles. And when you find that, I'm going to ask you to stand to honor the reading of God's Word. Matthew 5 and 27, Jesus said, You have heard it was said by them of old, You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. 
If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than your whole body to be cast into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than your whole body be cast into hell. The title of the message this morning is The Choice of Purity. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. You are great and awesome. You are worthy of our praise and worthy of our devotion. You are worthy of us living in a way that conforms to your will and your ways. To what you say is right, regardless of what the culture says. Father, we know that Jesus has called us to a level of righteousness that exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, much less the tax collectors and the sinners. Father, today as we look at part of what this means for us to to live out being made righteous through Christ and to live righteous because of Christ, let us take it to heart. Everything we're going to look at today is contrary to what our culture teaches. It's contrary to songs. It's contrary to music. It's contrary to everything around us today. It's contrary to what our, our flesh is going to want to live. Father, today help us to have ears to hear and help us to have hearts to obey. And Lord, let us who would call ourselves Christians, let us crucify the flesh with its passions and its desires so that we could follow Jesus in a life of holiness and purity that He calls us to live. Take the Word today, Father, and use it It's a light to dispel the darkness in our minds that we would see the glory of Christ. Take the word today and use it like a sword to convict us deeply where we need that conviction and bring us to a place of genuine, life-altering repentance. Take the word today and use it like a hammer to smash down strongholds that we may have erected so that our thoughts can be brought captive to the obedience of Christ. Fill me with your spirit and let me speak your word and your ways for your glory. Nothing more, nothing less. Guide us that we would respond in ways today that would demonstrate that we have been born again and that Jesus is Lord over our lives. We ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Which may be seated. Something I noticed in my study of this passage is the responsibility that Jesus places on us to live a life of purity. Right there is inferred in verse 28 to be careful how we think. But then there is explicit in verses 29 and 30 things that we must do to live pure. And we'll talk more about those in a minute. But what I want us to see now is that Jesus is saying that we need to do whatever it takes to live a life of purity. And, And whatever it takes, it starts with a choice, a decision that we make that I am going to be pure in the way that Jesus says I should be. The reality is, whether we live a pure life or whether we live an impure life, it is our choice. And as followers of Jesus, we are meant to choose a life of purity. And that's the main thought for today. 
I must choose a life of purity. But if I have been made righteous by Jesus, then one of the ways I live righteous for Jesus is to choose to live a life of purity. Now we can choose to live a pure life. We can choose to live an impure life. But that's our choice. I mean, it is a how we live is a result of the choices we make. Now, if we want to live an impure life, it doesn't require much of us. We simply do what the culture does. We follow the desires of our sinful nature. And we will certainly live an impure life. However, if we want to live a life of purity because of what Jesus has done, And there are a set of choices that we have to make. We see three of them in our text. First is, check my heart. Now verse 20 is the key for most of the Sermon on the Mount, but particularly all of chapter 5 after that. Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you'll by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Then in verses 21 and 22, 27 and 28, 31 and 32, 33, 34, 38, 39, 43 and 44, Jesus contrasts the righteousness of the kingdom with the righteousness of the Pharisees. Right? And he does this with his statement, You have heard it was said by them of old, but I say unto you. Now when Jesus says, when I say unto you, you could almost take that as Jesus saying, contrary to popular opinion. Right, so what we're going to look at next week, verse 21, contrary to popular opinion, it's not enough just to not kill people. Right, there is a higher standard that as followers of Jesus, we are called to live. We see this in verse 27 and 28 as well. Verse 27, he said, you have heard it was said to those of old, you shall not commit adultery, but I say unto you. Now, the Pharisees took the commandment against adultery very seriously. But they left out anything except the physical act of adultery. They considered themselves to be sexually pure so long as they did not commit the physical act of adultery. Now, meanwhile... They would follow women with their eyes. They would trace the outline of their body through their clothes. They would fantasize about what it would be like to be about be with them. But that was okay because they did not physically do anything. To which Jesus says, contrary to popular opinion, everything short of the physical act of adultery is not okay. I was thinking about... How amazing it is that Jesus still speaks to us today. How true it is that the Bible, that the words of Christ are living and active. Because our culture is a super sexualized culture. Sex is used to sell everything from magazines to beer, from shampoo to beef jerky. All kinds of sexual, what the Bible would call sexual immorality is okay. So long as it's consensual. So long as you enjoy it. A common mantra in our culture is it's okay to look so long as you don't touch. And one that often goes along with that is I'm married, but I'm not dead. 
to these ideas, Jesus says, contrary to popular opinion, that's not actually okay. In verse 28, Jesus informs us that there is more to sexual purity than stopping short of the physical act. But I say to you, whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Just as the physical act of adultery is wrong, to look at someone who is not your spouse with the intent of lusting after them is wrong. Now let me clarify what this doesn't mean. It doesn't mean every time you look at someone and think they're good looking, you've committed adultery in your heart. Following Christ and being transformed by His grace does not mean that you fail to recognize beauty when you see it. Really, I think the recognition of beauty is largely involuntary. But the issue isn't with recognizing beauty. The issue is with beginning to to fantasize about it, to focus on it, to, to think on it with the intent of awakening sexual desire within yourself. It could be a long, drawn-out, ogling stare where your eyes linger on the parts of the body that are most attractive to you. It could be an out-and-out fantasizing about what a sexual relationship with a person would be like. We also need to recognize that lust and adultery of the heart, it doesn't actually require a, a physical person that you can see. Right? And what I mean is, To read an erotic story and fantasize about the events of the story or let your mind be filled with that story is the same kind of mental adultery that Jesus is talking about here. So for mental adultery, for this idea of lust that Jesus is talking about, it would have all of the elements of a genuine act of sexual immorality. The only thing missing is the actual physical contact. The reality is, in many cases, the only reason physical contact hasn't happened is because the opportunity hasn't presented itself. When the heart is ready, the actions will usually follow if an opportunity presents itself. Just as a thief will steal when the opportunity is right, so an adulterer or fornicator will have illicit sex if the circumstances are right. But what we have to see here is what the real problem is. The real problem isn't the lust-filled looks. The real problem isn't the lust-filled thoughts. The real problem is not even the physical acts. Those are merely symptoms of the real problem. The problem is a lust-filled heart. Look at what Jesus says. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, Adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All of these things come from within and defile a man. The actions of sin, whether in this case it is lust-filled thoughts, looks, or the physical act of sexual immorality, is never the main problem. It's a problem, to be sure. But not the main problem. More than anything, they're a symptom of the real problem. The real problem is that these actions, these thoughts, these desires are the overflow of what's in our heart. When we focus only on the actions while failing to deal with the issue of the heart, we fail to do anything 
about the problem. It's like the pain you feel with a broken leg. The pain is merely a symptom of the real problem. The real problem is that the legs broke. Now, can you imagine what would happen if all you did was take pain meds that numbed the pain, but didn't do anything to actually fix the broken leg? Well, you could get around maybe for a little while if you took enough pain meds, but over time, it not only would not fix the problem, it would make it worse. It's the same thing that happens when we focus on the actions of sin, but ignore the root cause, the fact that our hearts are impure. Just focusing on the actions does not fix the problems. In our text, Jesus talks about gouging out the eyes and cutting off your hands. And we'll talk about that in a minute. But we have to be aware that even if we took that literally and we did it, it would not solve the problem of lust. If I had a lust problem and I gouged out my eyes, would it stop me from lusting after new people? Yes, because I couldn't see them. Would it stop me from the lustful thoughts I'd had prior to gouging out my eyes? No. No, it wouldn't. Would cutting off my hands or my feet keep me from being sexually immoral? Probably. But would it change my heart so that I no longer had lustful thoughts? No. No, it wouldn't. That's why we have to start with our heart. Unless we address what's going on inside our hearts, we will never effectively deal with the actions. What is in our heart determines what comes out in our lives. If we do not start by checking our heart, nothing else we do will matter. As followers of Jesus, we are expected to choose a life of purity. And the first choice we have to make is to check our hearts. Secondly, ruthlessly remove sinful temptations. Each one of us in here this morning is tempted by something. We may be tempted to lust, to steal, to get drunk, to gossip to be prideful, to outbursts of anger, or any number of other things. But we are all tempted by something. And a key to living a life of purity is to do what we can to get things out of our lives that lead us to sin. I'm reminded the words of Doc Campbell. Does anybody remember who Doc Campbell is? From Hee Haw. Guy went to him and he said, Doc, I broke my arm in two places. Doc's advice was, well, quit going to those places. But in a lot of ways, that's what we need to do to get lust and sin out of our lives. That's kind of the point Jesus is making in verses 29 and 30. Now, he uses intense language. Pluck, if your right eye caused you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. I mean, that is some straightforward, hard language. And it demonstrates the sincerity and how seriously he takes the idea of purity. Now, we know Jesus did not intend for us to take this literally. 
or we'd be the one-eyed, one-handed, free will Baptist church of Guyman, Oklahoma. And yet we still would not have conquered our sinful nature. But there is a principle that Jesus intends for us to learn here. And the principle is, if there is something or someone that leads me to sin, then I need to be ruthless about getting it or them out of my life. No matter what it is, no matter how much it hurts, no matter what the cost, no matter how close the relationship, if it or they lead me to sin, they must go. He's so serious about this, he repeats the principle later in Matthew 18. You cannot regularly put yourself in a place of temptation and then be surprised when you give in to that temptation. When faced with the problem of things that lead us to sin, we need to take Doc Campbell's advice and stay out of them places. Now, Scripture warns us about this frequently. 1 Corinthians 6 and 18, Paul says we are to run away from sexual sin. Paul tells Timothy to flee sexual temptation. And the idea is, I think, especially seen in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs is about how to, how to live a life of wisdom, God's wisdom in your life. And in Proverbs 5 and in Proverbs 7, Solomon warns his son about the immoral woman. Now, he doesn't warn his son about the immoral woman because there are no immoral men. He warns his son about the immoral woman because he has a son. If it had a daughter he was writing to, he would have warned his daughter about the immoral man. So it's not just immoral women, but it's the immoral person. And Proverbs lays out the idea in this about their dangers and about the need to run away. And in Proverbs 5, after laying out the danger of an immoral woman, he says this, Remove your way far from her, and do not go to the door of her house. Proverbs 7, he does something similar, and then he says, Do not let your heart turn, turn aside to her ways. Do not stray to her paths. Uh, the the idea in both is to stay as far away from the place of temptation as you can. In the message paraphrase, it says, it even goes so far as to say, stay out of her neighborhood. The point, the point is, if there's a person that regularly leads you to sexual sin, don't think you're just going to be friends and go to their house and it won't continually lead to that. Choose Jesus. If there is a website that you go to that frequently leads you to sin, don't keep going there and think that someday you're just going to overcome it. Choose Jesus. Do whatever it takes. Be ruthless about it. To get out of your life anything that leads you into sin. One more that I think is really powerful. If a bird sees a trap being set, it knows to stay away. But these people, they set an ambush for themselves. They're trying to get themselves killed. How often do we set ambushes for ourselves by going to places or looking at things or being with people we know will lead us to sin? We know that our history in this place leads to sin and yet we go there anyway. 
We're not being cool. We're not being relevant. We're not being lights in the darkness. We are setting ourselves up for failure. We know that our history with this person leads us to sin. So continually going to them, that's not being self-sacrificing. That's not being a witness. That's not being a friend. That is setting ourselves up for failure. That is putting ourselves in a place where we will spiritually be destroyed. Surely, we're smarter than birds. And if we know that that's a trap, we see it, we've experienced it, we've fallen for it so many times, we'll avoid it. Followers of Jesus are meant to choose a life of purity. One of the choices we have to make in order to do that is to be ruthless, to remove sinful temptations out of our life. So we check our heart, we ruthlessly remove sinful temptation then we have to be realistic about the cost. Be realistic about the cost. Nobody ever wakes up one morning and says, today I'll ruin my life. Today I'll destroy my family. Today I'll catch a disease. Today I'll do massive harm to my spouse And my children. Today I'll get caught and be publicly humiliated. The reason they don't plan for these things is because deep down. Everyone thinks that stuff happens to someone else. Those other people got caught because they didn't know how to work the system. They destroyed their families because they took it further than I ever will. Truth is, everyone gets caught. Either they get caught in this life and it causes a massive blow up at home and in life. Or they get caught in eternity and are surprised by the words they hear from Jesus. Jesus talks about the cost of sexual immorality. This morning I want to take some time and and show what Scripture says. Because Scripture speaks honestly about the cost of sexual immorality. And I want to do this because one of the keys... To choosing to live a pure life is to be realistic about the cost. Scripture teaches that there are physical, there's a physical cost and there is a spiritual cost for sexual immorality. Proverbs 5, we're just going to look at selected verses, but take time and read the whole chapter. It speaks a lot about the physical cost for sexual immorality. It it says, for instance, it will cost the loss of wealth. Right? And it's talking about adultery. And it says if you do, you'll lose your honor. And you will lose to merciless people all that you have achieved. Strangers will consume your wealth and someone else will enjoy the fruit of your labor. Now that's especially true if you end up in divorce. Divorce is costly business. Lawyer fees, court costs, alimony, child support, on and on. There is the cost of a loss of health. In the end, you will groan in anguish when disease consumes your body. It's interesting. All the way back in Proverbs, there was the warning about adultery and sexual immorality causing diseases. The possibility of a disease is a reality today, probably more than in any other day. AIDS and other sexually transmitted diseases are rampant in our world And any form of sexual immorality could very well cost us our lives. 
the cost of a loss of time. You'll say, how I hated discipline. If only had not ignored all the warnings. Oh, why didn't I listen to my teachers? Why didn't I pay attention to my instructors? The picture is that you go headlong into sexual immorality. And at some point, you sort of come to your senses. And you look back on all the time that was wasted and you think, why? Why did I do that? Why did I spend my time in this? These are regrets that we cannot erase. We cannot get that time back. There is no rewind or erase button on life that will allow us to go back and start over. It's just time wasted. I wonder how many moms and dads look back on the time in their children's lives that they missed because of sin and wish they could go back and get it back. How many of us Look back on our time spent in sin and think, I wish I could go back and do it differently. Why did I waste that time? There's also the cost of a loss of reputation. Earlier in the proverb, Solomon says you'll lose your honor and you will lose to merciless people all you have achieved. And then in verse 14, he comes back to that concept and he says, You'll say, I've come to the brink of utter ruin. Now I must must face public disgrace. Now we don't have to think long about people we know who are caught in sexual immorality to see that this is true. I mean, the, the, the very term televangelist has a negative connotation to it, largely because of sexual immorality of the men who carried that title. A lot of ways this could play out. One is in a marriage with a loss of trust. I mean, once you've destroyed your reputation as being trustworthy with your spouse, it's really hard to get back. And then we also have to keep in mind that we don't live in an isolation chamber. But we, we have families. And, and whatever public disgrace we face, they face right along with us. But then there is the, the ultimate cost. The loss of soul. Now that sounds intense. But that's what Jesus says, right? If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than your whole body to be cast into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you if one of your members perish than your whole body to be cast into hell. And he's saying we have a choice to make. We can choose to do whatever is necessary to live a life of purity, or we can suffer the eternal consequences for our sin. Now the idea that there is a loss of our to our soul Loss of our eternity with sin. That we can't live in sin and expect to call heaven our home. It's not unique to this passage. There there are more than we could cover this morning. But there's one in particular. Beloved, as I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts. Why? Which war against your soul. What's the motivation for 
abstaining from fleshly lust. Two, one, this world is not our home. But we, we are followers of Jesus Christ and so we're called to be different. We have a citizenship in heaven and that changes who we are and how we are. So we abstain from fleshly lust because those things war against our soul. Think about that. Now all sin damages our soul. But if we're honest with what scripture says. Sexual sin especially so. Sexual sin is damaging to our very soul. Now these warnings, they cannot be dismissed as though they were no big deal. They cannot be dismissed as though it's it's one isolated passage and maybe we're taking it out of context and or, or maybe Jesus didn't mean it. We have got to take it seriously. Again, if we're disciples of Jesus. Jesus is not your Lord. If you are not a Christian, if you are not a follower of Christ, your first need is to repent of your sin and believe in Jesus Christ. Not to try to live sexually pure. First repent, then believe, then work on it. But if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, this cannot be ignored. This cannot be minimized. This cannot be treated as secondary or unimportant. It wars, it destroys our soul. Following Jesus requires us to be radically different than the world around us. For the world around us does not care about sexual immorality. The world around us encourages towards sexual immorality. What we see from Jesus from Jesus is a radically different mindset than that of the culture around us. And if we are to be followers of Jesus Christ that live a life of purity, we must abandon the world's view of sexual sin and adopt what Jesus says. We must choose as disciples of Jesus, we must choose to live lives of purity. And that means we have to be honest, be realistic about the cost of sexual immorality. As a disciple of Jesus, we must reject the world's mindset on everything in particular. On everything but in particular about sexual purity. And adopt the mindset of Jesus. And let me say quickly, the world will say, well, Jesus doesn't care. Jesus was just like, love your friends and be kind and do unto others. And man, as long as you do that, you're good to go. And yet here we have the words of Jesus telling us, calling us to a radical level of purity, radical actions of getting sin out of our lives. And to do this, to do what Jesus says, to live like Jesus, to follow Jesus. We have to reject the world's mindset 
on Jesus and let him speak for himself and mean what he says and say what he means. But even that, it's a choice. It's a choice that we have to make. And today, every person in here, man or a woman, teenager, child, will make a choice. We will choose to believe Jesus and pursue a life of purity like He says. Or we will choose to reject Jesus and live according to the world's standards. And let me remind you what Paul said about this in 1 Thessalonians. Therefore, he who rejects this, his teaching on sexual purity, does not reject man, but God, who has given us his Holy Spirit. Today, if you reject everything I've said, you've not rejected me. You've rejected the Jesus who spoke these words. I mean, there is no middle ground. We choose Jesus or we reject Jesus, but we are going to make a choice. For some, this choice is going to have to start with repentance. Repentance for sins committed in the past. Repentance for adopting the world's mindset. Repentance for rejecting the words of Jesus. For others, this will start with believing in Jesus. For others, this will start with just saying, you know what? I'm going to continue the way I've lived because that's what Jesus says. What choice are you going to make this morning? In a minute, we're going to take time to pray. But right now, in this moment, let's feel the tension, the weight of what we've talked about. And there is a tension. Because what Jesus said is completely opposed to what the world says. So we have Jesus saying one thing and everything else around us saying something different. And so we feel pulled in two directions. If you're even remotely considerate of who Jesus is and your desire to live for Him, you feel pulled to do His will, to obey His Word. But if you live in this world, you're also pulled to what the world is saying. Resist the pull of the world. Resist the pull of the culture. Resist the pull of your own sinful nature. And surrender to the leading of the Holy Spirit pulling you to follow Jesus. Surrender to Jesus. Jesus loves you. Jesus died for you. Jesus wants to save you. And Jesus wants to lead you to live a life of purity. But that is your choice to make. Let's bow our heads and we'll take a few minutes to pray.